Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast. Hillsdale College has been a longtime sponsor of the broadcast. And for the new year, they've graciously agreed to exclusively sponsor the first hour or segment of the podcast. I believe deeply in the principles and mission of Hillsdale College, which I share with you during the upcoming segment. My thanks and appreciation to Hillsdale College for their long partnership with the show. And now, the podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm going to be signing a national emergency, and it's been signed many times before. Oh, freak out. Freak out. I mean, there's no shortage of that. Not that this wasn't a long time coming. But man, do you love a plan coming together. And today's today's Rose Garden announcement, I had had it all. Once again, I mean, if you like the full Trump experience, you got it all. You laughed, you cried, you were generally entertained. And somewhere along the way, a stroke of brilliance. The plan all coming together. You know, plan coming together is a crappy deal. He didn't like the deal. There's a lot of bull crap in it, a lot of wasteful spending. You know, Democrats wrote in a bunch of restrictions, cut down on yes, 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 and yes. However, what did you expect? And you think the president didn't know that was coming too? So he got everything, everything he needed today. What do you mean? I mean, he had to sign the executive uh, action and, and uh, he's going to be so. Let's take a step back, and I'm going to uh, spend a little time edumacating you here at the onset. And you're going, who is it that's edumacating me? Well, it is uh, your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. I'm the uh, host of the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. In fact, El Presidente should be uh, pulling in just a few miles away here anytime now, if he hadn't made it in already. Uh, I host the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami, guest contributor to the Fox News Channel. And I am a borderline germaphobe that often will have, as I do now, a bottle of hand sanitizer on one side of me and the wipes on the other side because you just never know which you need to go to. Now, in the grand scheme of this entire process, and a couple times over the past week, I've had the opportunity to share this with you. Mentioned that the the stage that we're at with the border wall is absolutely on target. In other words, up to this point, everything that has needed to happen has happened. You can't build a house starting with the roof, right? You got to build everything else before you can get to the roof. Okay. So that being the case, if you had one trillion dollars, unlimited resources to build the border wall. What do you have to do? Well, the first thing is you have to take what's already there and make sure that it's where it needs to be. So over the past year and a half, with the first two appropriations that the president received, he was able to take that money and use it to modernize and fix the existing border wall. Now, the first thing is just to refresh you. You go, the existing border wall, how much is there? There's exactly 654 miles, 654 miles most of which was voted on uh, by Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi once upon a time. Inconvenient truth there. Anyway, of that 654 miles, 
33.8% of your entire southern border is covered with a barrier. However, at the onset of the Trump administration, a review by Border Patrol, Army Corps of Engineers, and the like found that, hey, about 280 miles of this thing that are a hot mess. Stuff's on the ground. It's broken through. It's scrap metal. It's a mess. We, we got to do some work here. So that's what's happened up to this point. For the most part, there actually have been uh, slight expansions in the border wall in certain places. But for the most part, it's been the fixing of the 280 miles. Here we are. Now, the stroke of brilliance in this $1.375 billion is what it represents. Now, you hear that number, and all you might know is it's not $5.7 billion. But the question is, what the heck was $5.7 billion? Did you ever know what that was? Or was it just the number that Trump said, hey, that's what the Border Patrol needs? Right? That's all you ever knew about that number. But that number was very specific. The $5.7 billion represents what it would take to get to exactly 50% of the southern border covered. Okay? I mentioned that we're eh, just under 34% right now. $5.7 billion gets you to 50 But even then, is it going to happen overnight? Eh, No, of course not, right? You have to have contractors that pick up the jobs and that build the wall. And you can't have 20 different contracting firms working working all over the the, the southern border in different places, hoping that it all meets in the middle, right? you got to start somewhere. Where do you start? Well, the number one priority of the Border Patrol, number one, this 55-mile stretch in Rio Grande. That's what the $1.375 billion represents. And this is where, and, and it's my place in the world, my ability to analyze and research this stuff. Because I'm a masochist, earlier this week, I went and took a look at government contracts and tried to figure out how long on average for the type of wall, really fencing type of stuff we're talking about, will it take for them to do 55 miles along the southern border? Using the information from previous contract work at the southern border, you know what the answer is? Six to eight months. Six to eight months. Now, I want you to walk down the the calendar here a little bit and see where that takes us. Pick seven and, oh, it's September. Now, what's interesting about that? Well, oh, that's what when this funding deal ends. See, this funding deal funds us through the fiscal year. The fiscal year for the federal government runs through September. So here is the the first stroke of genius, the art of the deal by your president of the United States. He got as much money as was needed to do the highest priority to not miss a beat with making progress on the southern border just in time to have another negotiation at the next budget funding deal deadline. So in other words, it doesn't matter if he had $1.375 billion or $1 trillion. It's absolutely on track, no matter what now, with the signing of the budget deal. That's point number one. Point number two is this. By going ahead and signing the executive action today, as he laid out in a very entertaining way, there's going to be the lawsuit. Now, the one thing that's interesting in this, you know, if you were a gambler and you, you wanted to go ahead and play stakes, there's so much opportunity here. How long is it going to take uh, in, in terms of the, the pool to, to 
go ahead and, and get this lawsuit filed. And then you got to figure out, is it going to be Hawaii, California, Oregon, Washington? Uh, and so you got to choose your state and your timeline. You can leverage uh, the overall odds and the stakes, and, you know, it's a good time for all. Uh, you, you know it's coming. And, uh, you know, as the president mentioned, okay, and the, the Ninth Circuit, it'll be a loss. And then, you know, it, it eventually we'll get to the Supreme Court, and it'll be a win. And that likely is going to be the case. Now, in the grand scheme of things, eh, the long end of the curve is about nine months that this could play on the courts, and it could be shorter than that. So look what the president of the United States has done. He's given himself a parallel path. If by chance he wins on this executive action before we get to the end of September, well, he doesn't even need to negotiate with the Democrats on the border wall anymore, does he? He has the money he needs to get from here to there for the rest of the term of his presidency. And if it doesn't work, what does he do? Well, he goes back and he gets the next piece of funding to keep the border wall on track. The president of the United States won. It's not being disseminated that way for two reasons. One, Democrats have to save face with their constituency, right? So what are they doing? They're going back and saying Trump didn't get his $5.7 billion. And again, nobody knows what the hell that number means, so there's kind of that point to be made. Now, Nancy Pelosi, who said, let me be clear, how many times? He's not getting $1, $1 for that wall. Well, he managed to get $1.375 billion. So she has to account to her base. But still, the Democrats can say, we we won more because he got far less than even half of what he was asking for. And the Republicans, from a strategic standpoint, there are two things. One – They are not going to lay out what I just laid out to you, nor is the president so specifically, because if they did and made clear how they won this deal for the border wall, the Democrats will never have any motivation uh, to negotiate with them at any point for the remainder of this Congress. And as for the president, he gets to win playing to the base with the executive action. He gets to have a 2020 issue with the Democrats fighting security at the southern border. I mean, any way you take a look at this, it is a win politically for the president. And most importantly, who is this the biggest win for? It's the win for the Border Patrol. So as I've said right along, this isn't about Donald Trump's wall. It was the Border Patrol's wall. They just simply weren't getting the attention they needed, the support they needed. The president listened listened to him on the trail, and he made it a promise that he's followed through on, as he has pretty much everything else. The art of the deal coming to fruition. You know, it's one of the funniest things. So often, those on the left love making fun of him. Because let's face it. I mean, come on. At times, the guy speaks like, not exactly inspiring confidence here. But what you got to remind yourself is that this guy didn't manage to moron his way into a company that produces $10 billion in revenue per year and operates in dozens of countries around the world. You don't moron your way into that kind of an international success. The guy is wicked smart, even if he doesn't always come across that way. And the art of the deal was struck yet again. And he's won, and he's got parallel paths. It doesn't get any more strategically successful than that. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin.
I want to thank our sponsor, Hillsdale College, for all they do to try and maintain the greatness of America. You know, most colleges have enough trouble maintaining the greatness on their own campuses, and they have declined, and they have fallen into cultural rot. Not Hillsdale College. It's a special place. And now they reach out to all citizens of the country to spread the word of liberty, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, capitalism, all the great things that make America what she is today. And now that Congress is under new leadership, it already seems to be on a mission to thwart our liberty, doesn't it? Yours and mine. But too many representatives don't know how to preserve liberty, and too many of them don't care. We call them progressives. But I'm not interested in the progressives. I'm interested in you, we the people. It's up to we the people to retain what we have earned and to retain what we have received from our founding fathers. And our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check. And being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. That's why for a limited time, my good friends at Hillsdale have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free, to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. Hillsdale is on a mission to restore liberty like the rest of us. And you can take their excellent online course for free for a limited time. Sign up today for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore. Learn about liberty, the Declaration, the Constitution. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. I ran on a very simple slogan, Make America Great Again. If you're going to have drugs pouring across the border... If you're going to have human traffickers pouring across the water in areas where we have no protection, in areas where we don't have a barrier, then very hard to make America great again. All right, and there's something else that it's hard to do, and that is keep sanctuary states from taking advantage of the upcoming census. It is Brian Mudd in for the greatest of them all, Mark Levin. By the way, uh, the great one is back with us after President's Day on Tuesday. Now, I see in the early going with my opening remarks regarding today's signing of the budget bill and then the executive action. There are a lot of folks that are like, yeah, this is awful, though. Um, Look, there are two different things we're talking about. Am I saying that everything in this bill are, is a good thing? Oh, heck no, right? Uh, there's a lot of crap in there. We'll talk, talk about some of that in a little bit. I get it. What I'm talking about specifically is the wall. The wall. Everything to keep the wall on track happened today. A hundred percent. And the president gave himself a, a, a multiple options here. Uh, so that's the angle with which I'm discussing. Now, uh, there's another big development today. And that is the census situation. Now, a lower court, a federal court ended up ruling that the census citizenship question, which hasn't been around since 1950, uh, it, it had to be taken off of the upcoming census. Now, the Supreme Court today decided that they are going to take up this case. Why is this so important? Well, something that is true uh, about the census is that in our Constitution, which, yes, uh, some people actually still – Nancy Pelosi discovered it today. It was so, it was wonderful. She even, it's like, and I really like this part. We'll talk about that a little later. I, it's, it was Nancy Pelosi discovered the Constitution. There, there are things in here I like, too. Oh, but anyway, the, uh, the census states that persons, 
have to be measured, not citizens. So technically, you can have illegal immigrants in this country that would be legally counted towards census. Now, as you are well aware, because you are more astute than the average, what happens with the census? Well, it impacts everything. So it impacts the overall electoral college based upon the population in states. It impacts congressional districts, how many there are in given states, where those districts are, uh, when maps are drawn, and it allocates money to those congressional districts. So literally, when you have illegal immigrants that have the potential to be counted in sanctuary states effectively like California, what do you have? Well, you have them potentially stealing electoral college votes. You have them potentially stealing congressional seats. By the way, there's an estimate that up to five current congressional uh, seats in California are there simply because of illegal, or if I'm being generous, undocumented immigrants. Five, let alone the untold billions of dollars. And what does that do? Well, that steals congressional districts from maybe you and your state. It steals those resources that are allocated to those areas from maybe your congressional district. Everything about it is wrong. Now, part of the strategy, you might have seen this. My have even talked about it Monday. It all runs together. California recently allocated money, state money, to onboarding asylum seekers into their state. Now you go, why the hell is California doing that? I mean, it's one thing to be sanctuary and if they get there to protect them, you know, for their own political reasons. But it's a whole other thing when they're actually taking their own state's money to bring them in, make sure that they stay there, right? Well, why would that? Well, take a look at the census. How important is this? So, yes, while persons are to be counted according to census, the citizenship question itself being brought back is probably more important now than it's ever been, given that we do have lawless states like California that are obviously marching down the path of doing everything they can to stack the deck in their state for the upcoming census. So this Supreme Court decision to take up this case is huge. That outcome is huge because the one thing we have seen is that, yes, it is true that people that are not here legally are less inclined to want to fill out the census. And, of course, all the other liars and losers out there will say, oh, but it hurts uh, the, the overall uh, willingness by immigrants to bullcrap. Bullcrap. I'm here in South Florida. You know how many legal immigrants we have here and from how many different countries? And guess what? I hear from them every day. Haven't heard from one legal immigrant who was afraid to take the census, let people know they're here. It's a funny thing about being here legal. In fact, legal immigrants typically know more about being an American citizen than most natural-born citizens. So that's a lie and it's bullcrap. If you're here illegally, yes, you might be less inclined to fill out a, a government form. Ah. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. We are getting locked and loaded. So much more to cover this evening. It is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the new congressional leadership is on a course to impede our liberty, your liberty and mine and the future liberty of your children and your grandchildren. Many of our representatives simply don't understand or care about the critical imperative to preserve our liberty. And it would seem that some of these so-called progressives actually seek to kill it. And these progressives are quite unlikely to understand or learn these things, which is why we have to. We need to overcome them. Our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check. And being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. Now, to help us understand this critical issue for a limited time, my friends at Hillsdale College have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. I encourage you to check out this course, but not just you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Spread the word of liberty like Hillsdale College is. Hillsdale is on an important mission to restore liberty in our great country. And for a limited time, you can take their excellent and enlightening online courses for free. I urge you to sign up right now for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't work anymore. Learn more about liberty. Spread the word. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin says today, what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. We've got to get rid of drugs and gangs and people. It's an invasion. We have an invasion of drugs and criminals coming into our country. Got to keep the invaders out. President's keeping the invaders out. So today's deal keeps the border wall project moving along. And uh, the time that this 55-mile stretch in the Rio Grande shall be completed Approximately September, coincidentally, or not so much, when the next budget deal is due. Which means that the border wall construction project continues unimpeded for a minimum of the next six eh, six months, really, at the minimum. But seven months into the next budget cycle. And who knows, by then, you can either negotiate the next piece of the border wall project or... He wins on his executive action in the meantime, and he doesn't have to worry about the negotiations in Congress, which uh, takes us to, let's go to the phones, Mike in Melbourne, just to the north of me here. Uh, Mike, go. Hey, Brian, I'm enjoying the show. Appreciate My it. point or thought on this is that the two branches, the executive and legislative branches, are usurping or giving up some of their power to the Supreme Court, and the way president trump phrased it today it almost sounds like he's willing to accept whatever the supreme court decides on it instead of saying i have the legal authority to do this and i'm going to do it on the emergency order what do you think about that well there are a couple things one the the president laid out in a very humorous but probably factual way what he believes is going to happen which is the judge shopping in one of the states on the west coast then ultimately uh, the the uh, a couple losses in the courts, including with the Ninth Circuit, eventually to be picked up by the Supreme Court, and he anticipates he will win. He actually, in the order, is using pieces of a previous Obama national emergency order, which is the a stroke of brilliance in the grand scheme of things. So ultimately, what the president is doing and uh, in, in what he depicted today is probably accurate. One thing I caution anybody who is conservative, it is real easy to get comfortable with executive power when it's somebody that you support. 
what you have to remember, and this is the brilliance. I was having this conversation completely unrelated to this issue. We uh, yesterday, I'm, I'm in South Florida, and yesterday was the one year anniversary the shooting at Stillman Douglas, as you might imagine, a very big deal here in South Florida. And so you get a lot of the uh, memories, a lot of the gun control debate and talk and all that stuff going on. And I was having a uh, conversation with a colleague from a different radio station who is scared of guns, very nice guy, means well, just doesn't know what he doesn't know. And uh, he was talking about the, the Second Amendment, for example, and how you know it's outdated because you know back then, they had muskets. You know, you couldn't carry out a mass attack like you can today with all of our technology. Uh, and they didn't have any way of knowing, which, I mean, just completely misses the point. You know, and again, he's not a dumb guy. It's just that we don't teach the Constitution. Nancy Pelosi just discovered elements of it today. I mean, so you know, she has a note to uphold it. And she's like, I started reading this thing and never believed what's in it. I actually found something in it I kind of like. Oh, I mean, it's can't make this stuff up. But the, the, the point here being, not only is that a timeless document, but it was so incredibly brilliant in how it was scalable. Yeah, uh, were we talking about firepower back then that resembles what we have today? Absolutely not. But what what did they do? You know, you, you're talking about a country that was founded on what? A revolution. A revolution against what? Tyranny. And what did they use? Whatever the most modern technology was available to them, right? I mean, the, the best guns the, that they could find or take or confiscate or create or whatever cannon they could get their hands on, anything they could use to kill as many British as they could until they said, all right, we give, you can have it, right? That's ultimately what happened. Now, in the grand scheme of things, uh, the, the inconvenient truth that most people that aren't taught the Constitution, what they don't realize is that it is there to protect you from your government. It's the uncomfortable conversation with people that are uneducated about our Constitution. Later in the show, uh, actually coming up a bit next hour, we're going to talk a little bit about socialism. I'm going to develop this theme a little bit with Venezuela. There's a reason why the folks in Venezuela are throwing rocks. It's all they got. And with the military hanging with Maduro over there, what do they do? Unless some other military comes in, if their military doesn't defect to them, they got rocks. It's because they don't have an amendment that guarantees them the right to bear arms. They don't have any way to defend themselves against a tyrannical dictator, right? See, that's the scalability and the brilliance of our Second Amendment, of our Constitution generally, is that absolutely uh, the, the technology today is applicable to the technology back then. Now, you're going, hold on. But this started about the executive action today and balance of powers. Here's the reason I'm traveling down that path. We must always, always, no matter who is the president, no matter who controls Congress, respect how we got here. United States of America did not become the greatest country, the most prosperous country, the freest country in the world, by mistake. Got there because of the founding brilliance. And it is important that we respect the balance of powers. And it is important that we don't have executive action that is outside the bounds, outside the lines. Because the day will come when there is a Democrat or 
maybe even worse, that holds that office. And if you have somebody who gets carried away with executive authority and it's allowed to stand and there's precedent for it in the courts, then you got a problem on your hands. So I seriously, seriously caution anybody against traveling down that path. Now, uh, my understanding is that it is within his constitutional ability. And without getting into all of the nitty-gritty details, here's the bottom line on it. You're talking about military construction funds that he is accessing, along with potentially, and I'll discuss this element of it as well, uh, it's going to have to be in conjunction with justice if it goes down this way, some of the confiscated funds. So you have the President of the United States, who's the Commander-in-Chief. The Commander-in-Chief certainly has the ability to direct military funds that are unused for construction projects, right? So that, in that sense, it doubtless should be constitutional. And I hear what you're saying about the courts and everything else, but I believe, like the president, that the United States Supreme Court will rule ultimately in his favor. Uh, but, uh, but again, getting carried away with executive authority simply because the president is somebody you like right now is something that we must never uh, allow to be uh, you know, acceptable because the moment we travel down that path, it is the ultimate. Be careful what you wish for. Let's go to Mike in Grand Rapids. Mike, go. Hey, Mike. Mike, you are up. Going once, going twice. And uh, let's go to Val in New York. Val, go. Hey, Brian. Love the show. Appreciate it. Pleasure to, first time caller. Pleasure to speak with you. I just want to kind of share something about immigration. I myself uh, emigrated to the United States with my parents in 1960, and it was just uh, such an honor uh, to be here. To have, to, to, all my mom ever wanted was to uh, have freedom. And we filled out, my mom actually had to fill out an alien registration card. And like every year, we she'd go to the post office and, you know, just you know, because these were the rules, and it wasn't a problem, you know, and uh, we filled them out this way, you know, the government knew, um, you know, who we were. Eventually, you know, we were permanent residents, you know, we came as on a sponsorship from my grandfather, who settled here in 1950 after the war, and, um, you know, and so later on, um, you know, certainly I was able to get my citizenship, like, later in 1980. Um, it should have done it in 76 because during the bicentennial, they were giving citizenships out left and right, you know. But uh, well, I was a student, but, uh, you know, and couldn't be prouder. Couldn't no be doubt. Prouder. And, and I would take you over the average natural-born citizen any day of the week, twice on Tuesdays. Uh, because what going through the, the citizenship process, the legal process, and the education and the appreciation, especially from a perspective uh, you know, of a, a country with a history of socialism, uh, there's nothing else like it. I've talked about this for a while. The biggest misunderstanding uh, is that uh, you know Hispanics, oh, we have more Hispanics, and, and that's going to be bad for Republicans going forward. Well, if Republicans are morons, it will be bad for Republicans going forward. If Republicans actually act like conservatives and do the right thing, and somewhere along the way, and this is a huge problem with today's budget, but believe in, in limited government, well, it'll end up being a great thing uh, for a couple of reasons because, well, this just in. Many legal immigrants, many Hispanics understand what socialism is like. You talk to the Cubans, you talk to the Venezuelans, you talk to the Dominicans. Uh, it's one of my favorite stats, my show in Miami I do every day, my fourth largest constituency, and I never would have known this going into this show, my fourth largest constituency, Haitians. Here I am, 
the talk radio guy. Haitians, right? But people operate on a series of assumptions. What I found out in, in spending time and understanding and, and seeing why it is they listen, by and large, they want a better life. Well, imagine that. Now, things aren't so good in Haiti. You might have noticed. And so that's just it. We tend to put the big H, being for Hispanic, and say, oh, Hispanics generally vote for Democrats. That's a bunch of bull crap. Hispanic means about 30 different things. The case of uh, your your family talking about understanding, uh, you know, the the background with socialism and being so proud to be an American. So are they. And it's that kind of perspective that I think ultimately is going to save this country because too many Americans, fat, dumb, and happy, never learned the Constitution, don't really appreciate what they've got, don't realize that 80% of the world's population isn't really free, don't understand that the average income outside of the United States is below poverty, below poverty. By our standards, don't understand that the average person who is in poverty in the United States has a better quality of life than the average person in the rest of the world, period. I mean, it's just the lack of, but legal immigrants, their families, they absolutely get it. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd in. The new congressional leadership is in town, but there's nothing new about what they're pushing. Big government, centralized government, iron-fisted government, higher taxes, more regulations, open borders. They're on a mission to obstruct our freedom and undermine our sovereignty. Yours, mine, all of ours. And too many representatives don't care. This is the nature of progressivism. It's an ideological poison. And the best way to fight it is with knowledge, information about liberty, about the Declaration, about the Constitution, and how Congress is supposed to work. It's up to we, the people, to understand what our government is and is not supposed to do. And that includes Congress. And thankfully, my good friends at Hillsdale College have brought back the powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress, and it's absolutely free. Please take advantage of this remarkable offer to equip yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, with the knowledge that all of us should have about our Congress and our government generally. Hillsdale College is on a critical mission to restore liberty in our great country. And you can take their excellent online courses for free for a limited time. So sign up right now for this important course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore so we can do something about it. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. To honor the Constitution, especially Article One, uh, especially the system of checks and balances. Especially that one. I found the Constitution today, and I found something I liked. I found a place where it says that hey, Trump should do so much. It's kind of need this thing. I, I, I might read some more of it. <laughs> ah, good old Nancy. Ah. So maybe you know what? Plausible. Deniability. Maybe that would, that's what go on, goes on. You, you have all these people, and they take an oath uh, of office and an oath to uphold the Constitution. But truth is, they don't. They haven't read it. They don't know what's in it. And, and who knows? Maybe if they read it, they'll discover something. They're going, huh? No, Again, all this time, huh? Anyway, uh, so it is Brian Mudd uh, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark will be back on Tuesday after President's Day. 
You may also follow me at Bright Mud Radio on Twitter. And I have a, a couple of the stories linked up that I talked about with the details. If you really want to know the art of the deal and the brilliance of the Trump strategy and what happened today and what is happening with the border wall and the timetable and the whole ball of wax, you will find in those two stories that, that I have uh, for you there uh, at Bright Mud Radio on Twitter. Now, shared a little bit of this information with you at the uh, beginning of the week. About the real story here. It's not, we hear it's a manufactured crisis and whatever. Well, no. First and foremost, again, this was the Border Patrol's wall. They're the ones that say, hey, little help here. And Nancy Pelosi and, and company, they're the ones that go, uh-uh, it's a manufactured. No, I mean, like, we got some issues here. Um, Well, it's easy for Nancy to say. whole different thing when you're at the actual Border Patrol and, well, like I, I got a job to do, and, and you don't want to give me the resources to do it. That doesn't seem exactly right, does it? So it's always been the Border Patrol's wall. And again, uh, the existing Border Patrol wall that happens to be in place, almost all of it was there in part because of votes previously by, oh, yeah, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Uh, and even some of those votes once upon a time by Barack Obama and, and Hillary Clinton in the, in the Senate. It's amazing. It's amazing. But in terms of the manufactured crisis, Anything but, because we have had a skyrocketing uh, border problem. The, the overall border detentions, again, up 106,000 last year, 106,000 more, 521,000 border detentions last year. Now, those are the ones that got caught. How many do you think didn't get caught? And how many does it take to create a, a really big problem? Now, that increase was a 26% increase year over year. That's manufactured? 26% increase in Southwest border apprehensions? But wait, there's more. Because for the four most recent months, it's gone from spiking 26% to spiking 60% year over year. 60% more year over year. And we have been averaging every single day for the past four months, 2,017 Southwest border apprehensions. That's a manufactured crisis? 2,017? And again, how many don't we catch? So there are two sides to stories, one side of facts that happens to be one of them. And again, for Nancy Pelosi and company who uh, might have discovered the United States Constitution today because, oh, it actually uh, says something about like balance of powers or something. I kind of like that. Well, um, here's the thing. Nancy and Chuck and company, the only mandated responsibility, it's the only non-negotiable in your job. The one thing that of all the other things you do not have an option on happens to be defense of us, the people that you go there and, and theoretically represent. Now, I know it's a lot to get your brain around that uh, the national defense is actually the only mandated responsibility, protection of the American people, not letting in as many Illegal immigrants as possible so you can stack the deck in California for the 2020 census. I understand that that might be a bit of a shock, but it happens to be the reality. Which for all the folks that are worried about what the courts will ultimately end up doing, once again, uh, fear not because the president is on the right side of this particular issue. Likely, likely that the Supreme Court will see accordingly. Uh, And all this while, while this plays out in the courts, remember that you're going to have these Democrats that are arguing against the only mandated responsibility they have. 
heading straight into the 2020 election. And I mentioned the immigrants, the Hispanic population, the illegal immigrants that become very resentful very quickly on this. There was some fascinating exit polling I was taking a look at from last election cycle. Among legal immigrants, and I know this to be in, in Florida, I, I didn't see a credible polling necessarily elsewhere on it, but in Florida, 64% of legal immigrants wanted the wall to be built. So the resentment builds among Hispanics that are here legally on this issue as well. You don't hear that either. Two sides of stories, one set of facts, all kinds of facts. We're going to talk about socialism and funding for the wall and all that. Coming up next, Spray Mud. And for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. To be sued, I shouldn't be sued. Very rarely do you get sued when you do national emergency. And then other people say, "Oh, if you use it for this, now what are we using it for? We've got to get rid of drugs and gangs and people. It's an invasion. It is an invasion. In fact, it's an invasion in South Florida too. President invaded South Florida. He's, he's back in Mar-a-Lago. Just touched down about a half hour ago. It is your uh, South Florida friend, by the way." A few miles away from uh, the President of the United States right now, Brian Mudd, I do the uh, Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami, a uh, guest contributor to the Fox News Channel, and I am a uh, father of furry and, and big, fluffy, wonderful cats. Big fan of the Maine Coons, and they're fans of me, too. Uh, just kind of how I roll. <clears throat> All right, so a couple things here. First hour, I laid out the groundwork. And how this was strategic brilliance by the President of the United States. And I, I, I see all over the place a lot of people, you, 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 you becoming a liberal? You sound like a liberal. You're saying it's a great deal. It's not a great deal. Let me be clear on something real quick. Elections have consequences. This just in. Democrats have control of the House of Representatives. What do you think you're going to get? Exactly what you want if you're a conservative? You think you're going to get anything that you necessarily want if you're a conservative? Would the Democrats control the House of Representatives? So the question I advance for you as you impugn is this. What in the order of your priorities would things fall? For example, the border wall. I'm not going to get into all the details about how it's 100% on track right now. Go back and listen to the first hour of the Mark Levin Show when you have the opportunity to do so this evening. And you will be filled in with a simplistic brilliance by the President of the United States and yours truly analyzing what actually went down. Because I'm that guy who actually goes into the government records and figures out, oh, it takes contractors this long to do it. But the bottom line is, what happened today guarantees that the border wall project continues unimpeded, unimpeded until at least September. And gives the President of the United States a parallel path with the, uh, the court ruling in his favor at some point on the executive action that he took today. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, 
Would you rather the border wall project stop in its tracks until whatever point the court, the Supreme Court ultimately rules on his executive order, which could be anywhere from approximately six to nine months from now? Would you want the border wall to stop? Boom. And potentially go into you know the partial government shutdown and garbage again. Or would you rather take some crap that you don't want, because again, Democrats control the House, and keep the border wall 100% online? That really is the question. And it's where pragmatism comes into play. Now, the, the president is nothing, nothing if, if not a pragmatist. Again, it's the art of the deal. And what he did today was ensure that the border wall remained a top priority that continued on track. Because, and it's not just that he says it, the guy actually means it. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. He said it again today. If you don't have security, then what else do you have? So this to him is the top priority. Is it the top priority to you? If it is, then I don't care if there's a bunch of crap in it. You're not going to have something without a bunch of crap in it as long as Democrats have control of the House again. Elections have consequences. So, there. And if you want all of the nitty-gritty details, again, you may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter and get those details, along with some information about this one. El Chapo. All right, so this was a question that came up quite a bit earlier in the week, and uh, the, the idea, well, could El Chapo or some of those forfeiture funds be utilized to build a wall, independent, maybe, of even executive action? And here is the real answer. Now, first thing is, uh, Ted Cruz, he had been the perpetuator of this one for some time. In fact, memory serves as far back as last year when he was on the campaign trail against uh, our, our, our buddy Beto. Uh, he would uh, say, we're going to build the wall, and we're going to have El Chapo pay for it. Got to catch you. But anyway, here's the real deal when it comes to forfeiture funds. According to the Department of Justice, via the Comprehensive Contr- Crime Control Act of 1984, you like that one, don't you? I mean, I do. The Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984. I mean, one of my, my, my favorite acts. Anyway, here's what it actually says. The Attorney General is authorized to use the Assets Forfeiture Fund to pay any, un, any necessary expenses associated with forfeiture operations, such as property seizure, detention management, forfeiture, and disposal. The fund may also be used to finance certain general investigative expenses. There you go. So if you want El Chapo and his buddies to pay for the wall, there, there's where, where you're working. And you go, well, I don't hear anything there that had a whole lot to do with it. Yes, exactly, right? Now, the, the first of a, a couple of very important points here when it comes to the forfeiture stuff. You'll notice that the authorized agent of these funds is whom? Not the President of the United States. Happens to be the Attorney General. Now, that being the case, if we're going to see something on the forfeiture funds, it would be the Justice Department that has to lead the charge. Now, here's the question to ask yourself, again in the realm of pragmatism. Would you like our new Attorney General, Bill Barr, what's old is new again, just more partisan, <laughs> Talk about somebody who passed unanimously out of committee when he was taking the post the first time around with George Herbert Walker Bush, then passed committee on the party line vote, and then got through with, what, 54 votes yesterday? Uh, when he got through on a voice vote the first time around. 
So if you want to know if uh, politics really is that much more uh, partisan today than it was, you know, what, 25, 30 years ago? The answer is yes. There you go. I need to take a look at Bill Barr. But question for you. Would you like Bill Barr coming into his new post to make this his big issue? The forfeiture fund. Which, what will happen with it? Well, it would be sued. Same as the president taking the national emergency declaration that he did today, right? So either way, it's going through the court system before anything would happen. And on top of that, Bill Barr, what do you want him working on? I can tell you what I want him working on. How about the deep state? You know, I was uh, thinking about the irony over the past couple of days as we have Andrew McKay pitching illegal books. You go, McCabe pitching illegal. Yeah, they're illegal books because he's actually selling information uh, that is under investigation. I mean, but hell, when you're a co-conspirator in the the greatest conspiracy ever per- perpetuated in the United States of America. I mean, why not, right? Just keep rolling. Sell some illegal books while you're at it. Um, but uh, the, the great irony was uh, it was February 2nd of last year, 2018, when we got that Nunes memo. And it, it broke out for you on this particular program on that Friday evening, the 30 statements of fact from the Nunes memo. I called it the 30-count indictment. We're going to get into a little bit of that coming up next hour. But working the way through it, you ended up seeing all the different players. And, yes, McCabe actually came up second to only James Comey, who was the number one conspirator in that whole deal. So back to the attorney general for a moment. I tell you what I want him working on. Not getting involved in the forfeiture fund debate over the wall. I want his butt on their butts. I want accountability for the deep state. I want everything that has been buried by the mainstream news media, but those of us that have been paying attention to what's real in this country for over a year, I want the accountability and justice. That's all I want to see him doing. So, no, the forfeiture for stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I haven't heard that necessarily discussed somewhere else, so it's important to know. And then again, for that $1.375 billion for border wall construction, it is enough to get us at a minimum until September unimpeded. And that emergency declaration by the president very well might be decided by then as well. So if the wall is your primary concern, yes, I know a lot of the legislation A lot of the bill, a lot of what was in that today, a lot of what the president signed is crap. But if you don't want crap, then we got to do better at the polls. Because as long as Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House, do you think you're not going to get crap if you get something that you want? Eh, Just a little food for thought. And and beyond that, I don't want to travel down the mental path of what you would get from Nancy Pelosi. uh, Generally, beyond, you know, well, about socialism. About socialism. Little thing about it that is creeping up in our politics with the Bernie Sanders element, with the AOC element, but also with the Hispanic element. Something I touched on last hour. Something that's going on in Venezuela right now. And I'm going to tie this all together with what we're talking about with the border wall, the funding, everything else, and some perspective next. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one. Mud in. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, 
But what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. I can tell you that we have had two meetings already with Mr. Elliot Abrams in New York. Our chancellor has met twice with Elliot Abrams. The first two hours, the second three hours a few days ago. I invited Elliot Abrams to come to Venezuela in private, in public, or in secret. Or if he wants to meet, let him say when, how, where, and I will be there. All right, that is Maduro. Good old Maduro. Now, last hour briefly touched on the importance of the right to bear arms. And a little reminder about the importance of the Constitution and uh, original interpretation as well. The purpose at its core value of the Second Amendment is the ability to do what our founders did when they were faced with tyranny. Be able to protect yourself from it. Be able to take back your freedom if necessary. The inconvenient truth, as it were, about our right to bear arms. It's the thing about socialism. It's the thing about people that don't have rights and don't have the freedoms that we do, that are taken for granted because we have a bunch of ignorant people that have gone through an education establishment that doesn't teach them the Constitution, doesn't teach them an appreciation for the rest of the outside world. The reason why you see those that are trying to grasp freedom, the citizens of Venezuela, why they throw rocks, it's all they got. They do not have the right to bear arms there. And countless numbers of individuals that have become influential, that have opposed Maduro, are not just murdered, they're often tortured in the process. The military, unfortunately, has stayed with Maduro. As long as the military stays with Maduro, you have no means to defend yourself if you're the Folks seeking freedom there. The Maduro regime has cut off all aid into the country. What do they have? What position are they in? Now, the only thing they can do is hope that somebody with guns, somebody with arms, somebody with the ability to take on their military steps into the picture. I mean, that's it. And somewhere along the way, we're going to have to account for this. The question is, are we in or are we out? And truth is, when it comes to the United States, if it were simply about Venezuela, We'd already be in. It's about Russia first, China second, North Korea ambiently third, Venezuela fourth, in terms of the thought process and the consideration. Somewhere in there, Cuba as well. But the, the issue, of course, is you've got the alliance with Mother Russia, not with uh, the, the president of the United States, but actually with Maduro. Now, 
Here's the thing about socialism. The utter ignorance of so many on the left today. How many countries, first and foremost, do you think practice socialism? I'm not talking about high taxes. Uh, By the way, if if you think anywhere in Scandinavia is socialist, you're a moron. Or just so incredibly ignorant that you advocate for socialism that isn't. They just have high taxes over there. None of those countries are socialist. And they also have excluded communist countries from the information I'm getting ready to share with you. How many countries practice socialism right now? You ready? 22. You got 22. And they're broken up into three types. We've got three types of socialism for you to choose from on the platter today. The first one, democratic socialism. It's not just the Bernie Sanders uh, form of government of choice, the AOC government of choice. But it is actually the, the kitschy uh, form of socialism practice on the world scene right now. So 12 countries practice democratic socialism. Six practice just the good old fashioned, uh, you know, next door neighbor of, of communism, uh, the, the original socialism. And then you've got four that practice socialism in the 21st century, you know, because you know, we do things better you know, this century. Right now, here is what the average GDP per capita is adjusted for U.S. dollars based upon. The form of socialism. You ready? About $9,700 for democratic socialism. That's some sweet action right there. Wouldn't you like some of that here in the United States? $9,700 produced per person in democratic socialist countries. That's sweet. Socialism of the 21st century. About $12,750. I mean, that's like living rich. Compared to democratic socialism, and then you've got the good old-fashioned socialist. That's about ten thousand five. Now, here's the thing: Greece is your most notable socialist country. Venezuela is actually socialism of the twenty-first century. But what did you pick up there? They're all pretty much equally miserable, right? Give you an idea: U.S. GDP per capita is sixty-two thousand. $500. Our system of government allows for greater than six times the economic output of democratic socialism, five times old-fashioned socialism, and uh, you know about uh, the same for socialism in the 21st century. Now, I mean, one of the things that was most ironic for me in this exercise is not just that uh, you know socialism is you know what it is, which is sharing the the misery equitably, but it's actually that democratic socialism, what we are so often lectured about, is actually the worst of the entire bunch. As I like to say, there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. These happen to be them. But you're also not educated about what goes on here. Now, for those who question me about those that flee socialism, those from Venezuela, those from the Dominican, those from Cuba, those from countries around the world that have lived it and got it, why do you think they're willing to do anything to try to get here? If you want a quality of life that's literally a fifth of what it is today, vote for Bernie Sanders. Otherwise, learn a little something and figure out why there is an opportunity with those that come here legally. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. America's passionately cerebral voice. 
Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. No matter how good a deal I make with China, if they sell me Beijing for $1, if they give me 50% of their land and every ship that they've built over the last two years, which is a lot, and they give them to me free, the Democrats will say, what a lousy deal. That's a terrible deal. <laughs> uh, and it's true. I mean, that's the best part, right? It's true. They would. They would find a way. Now, uh, hey, it's Brian Mudd, your South Florida friend, broadcasting from just a few miles away from the president. The president is uh, back at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, I uh, hang out in, in West Palm Beach, do a show here, and in Miami. And uh, some of the perspective I bring to you about Hispanics, I'm eager to get into that conversation a bit more in, in just a second. But one of the big surprises, and we, we got the uh, national emergency order today, uh, which was widely expected. That wasn't the surprise to the Rose Garden. I'll tell you the one big takeaway for me today, the China developments. And certainly you saw the reaction the financial markets on trade. But independent of trade for a minute, the fentanyl situation. So as the president laid out in China, uh, they kind of view things a little bit differently with their drug dealers. You get caught dealing drugs and uh, eh, it's been nice knowing you. Then go ahead and whack you. So president made that point and he also said, hey, one of the really big problems, fentanyl, right? Well, China didn't have it on its banned drug list. And so you, you had people that were producing like mad and, and shipping it all over. Now, the president is saying that he got President Xi, Xi Jinping, to go ahead and add fentanyl to China's death list. So uh, the, the folks theoretically who push it uh, out of China anymore will, uh, if they get caught, they, they are uh, done doing business permanently. That's huge. That's huge. I, did you see, hear, read it anywhere in the news today? I didn't. After the, uh, I mean, I, I caught everything live from the president, but huge, huge what happened there. That's one. Two is, in terms of the trade and, and next steps with China, when you think about how to get from here to there, having the progress that has been made, the, the president laid out the tariffs that have been in place and the billions of dollars that have been rolling in. That's true. But you know the biggest deal, and he pointed this out. Take a look at our stock market. We went through the correction, all that stuff, but we are closer to all-time highs again than we are to correction territory. China's market's off 40%. Who won? Who's won this deal? The country that's off 40% or the country that's near all-time highs? The country that has record low unemployment? The country that has record high incomes. The country that has the highest quality of life for adults of every age adjusted for inflation in American history. We got the leverage. And what did he say? President Xi Jinping making his way here to uh, sunny South Florida in the not-so-distant. Which, by the way, it's so overblown. One of the, the real annoying things by you know the media is going to find a way to be negative. Uh, even the local pinheads around here. They'll make a big deal. Oh, the president's coming here. Stuff's going to be closed all over the place. It's so much nonsense. So much nonsense. It's not that big of a deal. But I'll tell you what is. The last time that President Xi came down here with his wife, his wife is a big fan of shopping and everything around the Palm Beaches. And so uh, Melania entertained the, uh, the Mal Jr. over there. 
And uh, they roamed all over the Palm Beaches and did shut down a lot of stuff. So that's the one thing about President Xi coming here is we'll, we'll see if they do the escapade all over the place. There's actually one point where we, were, where we were stuck in the station for a couple hours because a couple miles away, well, not even a couple miles, about a mile away, uh, the, the uh, Mal Jr. Was, was out there shopping with the First Lady. I digress. Um, all right, let's go to Kevin in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Kevin, go. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, all good. All right, so I wanted to agree with you. On, uh, on your earlier comment about now, because I, I want to ha- have two sides of this, of legal immigrants. Um, I, I was asked by a Ecuadorian uh, woman to be the godfather uh, of uh, Ecuadorian boy, which I did. He's now 19, graduated, and um, going through the paperwork to become a Marine. Now, being 5'7", 5'8", 115 pounds soaking wet, I'm not exactly sure how that dream is going to come out for them. Um, but I, like I said, on that aspect, they do appreciate um, America and the Constitution. That's great. But in my, jo- in my job, uh, I've come across a lot of, a.k.a. anchor babies, of illegals. Now, on the flip side of this is... They're more prone to vote for the party that will most help them or their parents who are illegal yeah. and, and to get other family members into the country, which will um, yeah. be more beneficial for the Democratic Party. You're 100% right, Kevin, and there lies the difference between legal versus Illegal immigration. Yeah, if you have, you mentioned anchor babies, so technically they are, uh, you know, going to be legal themselves. But if the rest of their family is illegal, uh, and uh, they're going to advocate, of course, for them not to be potentially deported, right? So that much we get. And, uh, you know, th- that that is a problem. And, and that's all part of why it's so important that, well, as the president says, we have borders. Because if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. And we have ICE that actually does their job for rooting out illegal immigration. Uh, and we, the number one way that you fix a problem is by stopping it. You, you can't go and, and you know, t- fix everything if the, the problem is, is constantly replenishing itself. So if we stop the problem, then we can take a look at what we have in these types of situations and, and deal with that better, too. But, yes, uh, but legal immigrants, it's a totally different ballgame. And this is where I think a lot of times people miss the mark. Uh, there are so many different examples that I can give. A lot of it is national information. But I, I love my own little cross-section here in South Florida and the state of Florida generally because there is so much that is instructive, so much that's instructive. I'll share a little bit of that with you in the not-so-distant. Uh, Lee in Indianapolis. Lee, go. Brian, compelling show this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Um, quick question, and this kind of dovetails to the last conversation you had with Kevin. But I was wondering, with the numbers of immigrants that are coming in, many of them have risked life and limb to get to the United States. Many of them have strong religious underpinnings. Why is it that you think that most of the people that don't that come here do not vote overwhelmingly conservatively? Yeah, it's a very compelling question. I'm going to answer your question, but first I'm going to ask you a question. The social values of many black families, would you say that tend to be in the way that they view things from a spiritual standpoint, the way that they view things from a a structural upbringing, 
potentially more or less conservative than the average, say, just Republican anywhere USA family? Mm. I don't know. I would say that may be regional depending on urban and rural. Yep. Okay, I'll accept that to a point. Uh, And I'm not talking about broken families. I'm talking about, uh, you know, family units. As you are probably aware, you had an overwhelming majority of black Americans that were Republicans until the 60s. And through a a bunch of BS, uh, you know, the the situation ended up reversing itself, despite the fact that there were far more Republicans that voted for the Civil Rights Act uh, on a percentage basis than Democrats. Uh, and, uh, of course, the history of the Republican Party and, and black Americans. My point here being there are a couple of different disconnects when you talk about politics. When you talk about people that are coming across the border uh, and they don't have a sense of constitution, they are here illegally to the point of the previous caller. If you have someone who gets here and they are not here illegally, what is their number one concern? Well, their number one concern is staying here. Now. Which side politically are you going to be more inclined to support if your number one goal, since you are already here illegally, is uh, is to not get deported? Obviously, it's not going to be the Republican Party. So I think all the rest of it goes out, you know, because if you you start with the premise there, even when it comes to uh, there is probably not a minority group, generally speaking, that from a social standpoint doesn't more closely align with the Republican Party than the Democrats. But it's all those other underlying issues. And when you talk about these people, I gave you the the statistics for socialism and how the best of the lot brings you about $12,000 in economic output per person per year. Our poverty rate is $18,000 a year. $18,000. The best socialist country out there runs about $12,000 per year. So that gives you an idea. They simply get here and, and they can find a way to our welfare programs. They're living large compared to what they have been used to. And you're not going to deport me either. You'll protect me here. Shoot, I'm with you. That all is logical, makes sense, as wrong as it is. Why we got to stop the problem. Now, the rest of it is, for those that are here legally, there often is a resentment that builds because they did want what this country had to offer. They appreciate what it has to offer. They're aspirational. They want a better life. They want to be able to participate in the American dream. And with many of those legal immigrants, they get locked in with illegal immigrants, and and people will just end up using the big H word, which is Hispanic, and then make a bunch of assumptions that are not true. One of my favorite examples, I've mentioned it on this show on a number of occasions because it illustrates this point better than anything else. In my state of Florida, The percentage of the Hispanic vote has never been larger. The total number of Hispanics voting has never been larger. And for the first time since 1868, you have a Republican governor and two Republican U.S. senators. If Hispanics are naturally going to default to Democrats, how does that happen? I'll give you something even a little closer to home. I th- do through my research, do my local shows, uh, one which focuses on Palm Beach County, another focuses on the Miami market, which is Miami, Dade, and Broward. And taking a look at the overall composition, first thing is 
42% of my audience in Miami and Broward, 42%, they're Hispanic. You don't hear this stuff elsewhere. Palm Beach County, overall percentage of the population for the 13 years plus that I've been down here and on air. Overall percentage of the Hispanic population has grown from a shade over 10% to about 19%. When I got here, Palm Beach County was D plus 28. D plus 28. Today, it is D plus 15. Now, the Hispanic population has grown by nine points and yet nearly have shaved the overall political bend of this county in half. How does that happen? And yes, I did have a uh, boss once upon a time that thought that I might have something to do with it. I would like to think so. (laughs) Reaching people with information is one of my favorite things. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Closer than we ever were in this country with having a real trade deal. We're covering everything, all of the points that people have been talking about for years that said couldn't be done. President Trump talking about the China deal, which was the real surprise for me coming out of today's Rose Garden announcement. Yes, we got the emergency declaration. That's the big story, along with the signing of the bill and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the the China development, uh, very, very significant. And, uh, of course, there are a couple things here. Uh, One, we are winning. As I mentioned uh, in the previous segment, when China's markets are off 40% and we are close to all-time highs, what what does that tell you about the art of the deal here, uh, about what President Trump has been working on? Uh, So... What do you think? You, you think that uh, as President Xi Jinping uh, makes his way back to Mar-a-Lago this time around, you think he is in a stronger or weaker position than he was the last time? You think the, the president has a bit more, a bit less bargaining power? And, and yet again, where is the news media? Uh, with I mean, how, and I understand that there are a bunch of Republicans that don't know the first flipping clue about economics either in Congress. But I mean, where are they even? I mean, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big story. But guess what? Whether or not any of those yahoos get it, you do. What do we see this week? Well, I mean, it's been pretty remarkable. I like to do a weekly temperature check of El Presidente, along with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, to give you the real deal. Now, uh, unlike the dishonest news media, they will get out there and find one poll that they like to work with, whichever one generally looks worst for the president. 
or even some of the folks on the right who will take the one poll that looks best for El Presidente and, and pair it in. If you average together, not the real clear average, because that goes back often for weeks at a time, but just accredited polling over the past week, and you take a look at the changes over time, uh, pretty remarkable what we see this week. President's average approval rating is at 45%. It's up three points this week. He's up five points over the past two weeks. But again, sample matters. So while he's at an average of 45% approval, up five points in two weeks, the more informed and engaged someone politically is, the more likely they are to approve of him. And by the way, oh my God, in the grand scheme of people that wake up in the morning, walk around, and wait to be offended, this was one of the lamest. I actually had somebody not long ago, oh, I, I, you know, you're insulting me because they don't approve of Trump. I'm not insulting you. When I say those that are the most informed and engaged are the most likely to approve, that's a statement of fact. If you don't like him, that's your business. But good God, get a life, man, and, and grow a, a set or something. I don't know. Jeez, thin skin. Anyway, pet peeve of mine. People walk around waiting to be offended. But adult-only samples over the past week, 42% average approval for the president. With registered voters, it bumps up to 45%. But among likely voters over the past week, President Trump's approval rating is 50, 50%. Now, it's early to get into all this kind of conversation about 2020, but give you a little bit of sneak preview. First thing is, an incumbent president running for election wins 65% of the time. So Donald Trump already has a two-thirds chance, essentially, of winning re-election simply because he's the president of the United States and he's running. That's number one. Number two is, If he runs into the 2020 cycle with anywhere near 50% support among likely voters, they're in anything that they're going to whip out on the other side that is going to stand in this man's way. He would be a prohibitive favorite, prohibitive favorite. Simply put, incumbent presidents with 50% support with likely voters don't lose. And that's the rest of the story with the president. But for the others... Oh, how you doing, Chuck and Nancy? Oh, there they are. All right. Nancy Pelosi over the past week, her average approval, 37%. How you doing, Chuck? 31% approval. Oh, Chuck, not looking too good. That's right. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, eight points behind President Trump's average approval rating. Schumer, 14 points behind. Somebody's winning. Somebody's winning. And I don't think, I don't think he's getting tired of it yet. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. President could drag this out certainly over years, uh, and we could spend the next decade building the wall. But the president wants to stop uh, the national security and humanitarian crisis that's taking place at the border. He wants to stop it as soon as he can, uh, and that requires getting additional funding outside of the funding package. All right, speaking of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and dragging things out for years, wow, Robert Mueller sucks at life. 
while he sucks at life. If you're uh, feeling down and out right now, know this. You are not as much of a tool as Robert Mueller is. So this form of developed pond scum actually is now interviewing Sarah Huckabee and her family. Now, just mentally walk back a little bit. What was this actually about in the first place? Trump-Russia collusion, right? Trump-Russia collusion when? Oh, that's right. During the campaign, because we're to believe that Donald Trump became president because he said, hey, Vlad, do me a solid. And he said, I got your back. And, uh, and, and stuff happened, right? Okay. So where was Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Do, 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 do. Anyway, uh, nowhere close to Donald Trump. Nowhere close to that campaign. How badly do you suck to drag her and her family into this? I mean, it's one thing, and I mentioned this right along. I make no excuses for anybody who's gone down. Manafort, bad dude. Don't do bad stuff. Cohen, obviously, you suck with everybody you work with. I don't have a problem if bad people do bad things and they get busted doing it. My problem is when we don't have equitable justice under the law. And we got a lot of that going on. Hey, it, uh, it's Brian Mudd, your friend in South Florida. I uh, do the Morning Rush, WJNO, West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami, guest contributor to the Fox News Channel. And I have the most wonderful, beautiful, intolerant wife there is. You might think that your wife is pretty amazing. Uh-uh. Mine. She puts up with me. By the way, if you want to... You know, compensate for what might have been a Valentine's Day gone sideways. I got a story that'll make you feel better about yours. I stay busy during the week as it is. Wife does too, for that matter. But my bedtime's pretty early. I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So, I had, for Valentine's Day, I I believe 25 minutes with my wonderful wife, Ashley. 25 minutes yesterday. And you know what we did in that 25 minutes? Consumed the... uh, Frozen gluten-free pizza that popped in the oven. Happy Valentine's Day. No, she's she's celiac, so the gluten-free thing was, you know. But, and she loves me and she puts up with me. I mean, come on. That's pretty amazing. So anyway, you can uh, feel better about your Valentine's Day if you didn't exactly pull off something romantic. Uh, I'm going to aim to make up for it this weekend. Okay, about the equitable justice thing. Going back to February 2nd. Last year, on this year, Mark Levin radio show, we had the breaking news that afternoon of the Nunes memo and all of the various different details that began to come out for the light of day for everyone to see. And I broke them out. I'm like, holy crap, how do I deal with all this and, and understand what's going on here? Something of this significance. And so I just literally took every single fact from that Nunes memo and put it down. It's got it down on paper. And then I analyze it and I put it to bullet points. And I'm like, all right. And I ended up figuring out that it was 30 different claims, 30 different claims. And I turned that into what I call the 30 count indictment, 
which, by the way, if you search for the 30-count indictment, uh, you will find it, and you can get everything that was in the Nunes memo in a very easy-to-understand way. But the bottom line is, what we learned is in what you are well aware of that the mainstream news media has ignored all this time is that there was a grand conspiracy. Conspiracy that is greater than anything that has happened in United States history. And people will be like, oh, come on, Watergate never... Uh-uh, not even close. That was a paranoid president and a couple of operators right around him. In the case of this, you are talking about corruption at the highest levels of multiple federal departments with many individuals in each department playing out over an extensive period of time. This far in a way is the most significant conspiracy in United States history. And it's not even close. And as you take a look at what happened, when you had a fraudulent dossier bought and paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, perpetuated and signed off on by James Comey, who had just rigged the Clinton investigation and signed off on numerous times by other officials, you began to see everything come into focus with how we ended up with Hillary getting off the hook, how we ended up in this place with the the special counsel, how everything suddenly made sense when you put the pieces together with how Ron Rosenstein set up Donald Trump by making the recommendation to him to fire James Comey. Why? Because, well, Ron Rosenstein himself was a co-conspirator. And what better way to try to save your own butt than to try to get a special prosecutor to try to take out the guy who could take you down? They got desperate. In that 30-count indictment, February 2nd, a year ago, the names are in this order in terms of how they show up in the grand conspiracy with the illegal FISA warrant request using bogus information bought and paid for by the DNC and the Clinton campaign. The number one co-conspirator was James Comey. He signed off on three warrants. Three of the four were James Comey on there. Now, it would make sense that the second most common conspirator that would come up would be his deputy. And that's the case. Andrew McCabe. Yes, the same Andrew McCabe who got fired from the FBI. The same Andrew McCabe who is now out there peddling a book and is selling illegal information. Because not only is there information, I mean, now, the information that's in it is liable to be lies because that's what we know of the guy is that he doesn't. But it also is under investigation. So he's selling federal information under an investigation. But I guess when you're already a conspirator and the greatest conspiracy in United States history, it's like, ah, what the hell? I'll make a few bucks while I'm out here. So the McCabe thing coming into focus. But remember, that's not the only name. Sally Yates is the third name that comes up. Former Deputy Attorney General of the United States. The next name that comes up is Dana Benetta. Another deputy attorney general. And then, oh, there he is, our buddy Rod. Rod Rosenstein, deputy attorney general. So he uh, becomes the fifth person to enter this. Having signed off on a FISA warrant request 
with false information, knowing damn well that he was in on the fix. As we have come to understand over the uh, past week, Andrew McCabe and Ron Rosenstein, for over a year now, we have both known are co-conspirators and are liars. They're criminals. And the only place that either one of them belongs is behind bars. My hope is that with the new Attorney General Bill Barr, justice will be served. In the meantime, here's something else that hasn't been discussed. And it's Rod Rosenstein and his lies, his third different version of his story about trying to remove the President of the United States and the other grand conspiracy he was involved with, wiretapping and trying to evoke the 25th Amendment and all that. Well, here's the thing. Not only has he come up with three different versions of what he did, but there is a contradiction with Andrew McCabe. So Rod Rosenstein and Andrew McCabe have now turned on one another another in what is already the biggest conspiracy in the history of the United States of America. What does that tell you? Well, no matter what, there is the conspiracy. See, what the mainstream news media is trying to do this entire year plus is ignore the fact that this has taken place. Tried to assume that the Mueller investigation was ever legitimate, which it wasn't. It was a setup by James Comey and Ron Rosenstein. And now we see that as the heat is getting turned up, so we've got Bill Barr going in there. Mr. McGoo, hey, I'm the justice guy. He was out. Then Whitaker's like, I really want to do the job, but I'm not going to be here. So, But Bill Barr, now here to do the job. And this is what he should be focusing all of his time on, getting to the bottom of what really goes on here. We'll talk about this some more next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. an emergency, and the president's fear-mongering doesn't make it one. A policy dispute about our southern border does not constitute a national emergency. Oh, Chuck. I wonder if he believes himself. What do you think? Hey, takes himself seriously? He still sounds like The Undertaker, too, or something. You know, it's like, if you met him in a back alley, that's somebody to be afraid of, right? I mean, forget the, the street thugs. Schumer? Whew. Anyway, uh, it is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, and he is back after President's Day on Tuesday. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And Mueller, the thug that he is, the person that him, I mean, he himself, going all the way back to Uranium One and the actual collusion with Russia that took place with the State Department, Hillary, in conjunction with then-FBI Director Robert Mueller. Guy so desperate that he, as we found out today, was out there trying to shake up Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her family. Now, how sick do you have to be to be investigating Trump-Russia collusion and go after somebody who didn't even know Donald Trump when the claims were taking place? That's sick. You're a disgusting human being, in addition to being a thug and a crook. But 
while you're out there getting desperate because deep state's getting ready to go down because we've got an attorney general who is there for one purpose, Bill Barr, second time around, happy in retirement, I'm sure. Why has he come back to justice? Well, probably because there's a big-time job that needs to be done. And as Andrew McCabe is out there, and he is talking about Rod Rosenstein lying, and as Rod Rosenstein has come up with three different versions and now is no longer effectively running the Justice Department and overseeing the Mueller investigation, stuff starts to get real. So I want to walk you back just to a couple of the fine points from what actually happened in the grand conspiracy, the largest in the history of the United States of America. It all started with the Department of Justice and the FBI petitioning the FISA court to begin to surveil a Trump campaign advisor. You might remember Carter Page. That happened on October 21st, 2016, just two and a half weeks before the election. But the application had to be certified by the FBI's director or deputy director and the attorney general, deputy attorney general, or assistant to the attorney general to the NSA. I know it's a lot of moving pieces, but that's how so many different people got involved in this process. The initial warrant on Carter Page was issued and renewed three different times every 90 days, which took you through the campaign, the election, the president-elect period, and yes, even after he was president of the United States. Illegal surveillance taking place. FBI Director James Comey himself signed off on three of the four warrants that were signed off on fraudulently and sent to the FISA court. Andrew McCabe signed off on one. Sally Yates signed off on at least one. Dana Bonetta signed off on at least one. Rod Rosenstein signed off on at least one. We knew that Christopher Steele, discredited FBI source, was the source, theoretically, of the Steele dossier. And while in the Nunes memo, it was cited as essential to the Warren process, a lot of people try to say, oh, no, it really wasn't. Remember that whole window of time when we were hearing that the Steele dossier, oh, that was just, you know, a sideshow. Well, here is part of what gets interesting. See, Andrew McCabe, deputy FBI director at the time, testified in December of 2017 that the warrants would never have been issued for the surveillance had it not been for the Steele dossier. And the pervasiveness of this screw job was so intense that the way that this all got done was that you had a planting of this information with Yahoo News. Yahoo News and Mother Jones. And the reporting with the plant on all this information again, from a bogus FBI source in Christopher Steele, and the linking to Yahoo News and Mother Jones was actually presented to the FISA court as evidence that there was something to investigate. We found out that Perkins Coy and the, the uh, DNC law firm and the Clinton law firm and the campaign, that they were the ones that were funneling money to pay for the fraudulent Steele dossier. We found out that Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr, his wife, was working with Christopher Steele on that fraudulent dossier. We found out that Bruce Orr, Deputy Attorney General, was actually bringing information into justice 
after Christopher Steele had already been dispatched and discredited as a credible FBI source. That's how pervasive this entire conspiracy was. Nowhere in mainstream news media still is any of this discussed. But you've literally got them all involved, every last one of them, starting with Hillary Clinton. Uh, So the greatest conspiracy, history of the United States of America, and it's all starting to come to a head right now. Now, Bill Barr, in as attorney general, is it a guarantee that he's going to do the job? No. But I've always been cautiously optimistic, and I'm a believer that this country actually still does have equitable justice under the law. And if there is, you're about to see a lot happen over the next couple of years that will make you awfully proud about the slow wheels of justice eventually catching up to all these people. And here's the thing. As the heat gets turned up, what do you think is going to happen? Andrew McCabe, Ron Rosenstein, already, already contradicting each other. What comes next? Could be a very interesting spectator sport, but more importantly, could actually be what saves the republic. And in the grand scheme of the president writing this whole thing out, rather than firing Mueller, rather than you know doing any number of other things to try to minimize the impact in his day-to-day, he has put up with this for how long now? Playing the long game, being successful with his agenda, and now, justice. This could be a very exciting window of time leading up to the 2020 election. Stand by for news there. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's counting on it. I think it could be coming. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, the modern voice of the founding fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. So we have far more people trying to get into our country today than probably we've ever had before. And we've done an incredible job in stopping them, but it's a massive number of people. If we had the wall, it would be very easy. Oh, there he goes with all those facts again. There's that manufactured crisis, 106,000 more People detained at the southern border last year over the prior year, 106,000 more, 2,017 per day now being detained at the southern border. But manufactured crisis, right? Yeah, uh, two sides of stories, one side of facts. All right, I'll give you a heads up about something here. Devil's always in the details. And you might have heard about the uh, new drug pricing plan Secretary Alex Azar has come up with. And on the surface, sounds good. It's kind of like a, a lot of the, the Affordable Care Act. That sounded good, right? By name? Uh-huh. And uh, 80% more for your same health care services later. How do you like it now? Anyway, drug pricing plan by uh, Secretary Azar. Kind of a different version of a similar thing here. Not going to be good for your health. Uh, one part of a, a disturbing overall socialist type of pattern here, and it has to do with Medicare Part D. Now, under his plan, you could be denied access to life-saving drugs, uh, that treat serious conditions. And uh, right now, it, it's protected. You know, if it's something that is critical to your life, not going to get caught up, it, it will be covered. But if this plan goes into place, that might not happen. Uh, so under this plan, 
the estimated wholesale cost of any of the life-saving drugs were to increase by more than the rate of inflation, even if it was just temporary, a regulation under this plan would hit that would deny access to the very people who need that drug to save their lives. Not good. Not good. So the estimated wholesale costs, arbitrary. Uh, It's an estimate. You you know, it's kind of like MSRP on the card. Do you ever really pay that? No. Same kind of deal here. Arbitrary estimate of the uh, drug manufacturer's list price to wholesalers, and it has no relationship to the price you pay for those drugs. So you get the idea here. Uh, Not something that we need to happen. So speaking out against the plan, and I want to make sure that you do what you can to ensure that you aren't ever, anyone you love, in a position to be harmed by this plan. So get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. Truehealthcarefacts.com. All right, I'm uh, Brian Muddy in for the great one, Mark Levin. And uh, among the many things we talked about in the course of tonight's show, uh, constitutional powers. And, you know, the, the concern some people had, uh, even on the right, we, we've got some, uh, you know, weak-spined individuals that are like, the president's using the, the executive action, the national emergency. I don't know that that clears constitutional. Well, watch. Watch and learn. Because eventually the Supreme Court is going to rule in the favor of the president. And, and then you two will know. And then in the meantime, you can just sit there and, and suck and sound like a weakling while you, you get rolled by the Democrats that are always willing to use every power and every lever they have at their disposal. But as part of the, the Constitution, briefly touched on the Venezuelan situation and how the reason they throw rocks. The reason you, you see them throwing rocks because they don't have guns. The reason they don't have guns because uh, they don't have the ability to obtain them in Venezuela. A lot of countries where they don't have rights. See, it's one of the very first things that happens. And part of not teaching the Constitution, not teaching why we have a well-armed militia. Uh, and, and that is because what happened? Oh, that's right. We had a bunch of people that actually ended up uh, fighting this revolution. And they didn't do it with rocks, by the way. Didn't didn't win the uh, revolution with rocks. Went out with guns and they killed people. I mean, a crazy thing. And, uh, oh, yeah, th- so the, the very people that enjoy that freedom today, what did they do with it? Oh, that, that's right. They, they sit there, oh, but I'm scared of the gun. Uh-huh. Do you like freedom? But, hey, you know, why why get into... You know, factual information like learning the Constitution. See, the inconvenient truth, of course, is the reason you have the right to bear arms is to protect against a tyrannical uh, government. Yeah, but, hey, uh, let's go to Donald in New Jersey. Donald, go. Hey, good evening. I think all this fake dossier things that's coming to a head really puts the president in a positive light. All these other guys are just pouring gas on their own fire. I was on the phone with uh, Governor Murphy's staff, Normie and Vince Sunalis, there in the computer listening to sound bites regarding a mail correspondence I sent, Danielle Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, site on Google. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate the the call. Now, a, a couple things. When you're, you're talking about the regulation uh, that, that is going to come into play, if we continue down the path with the Second Amendment, uh, and every time you have a, a chipping away, a chipping away of the access. You know, I, one of the things that uh, I've been monitoring here, you, you might have heard of a group called uh, Ban Assault Weapons Now. The group uh, Ban Assault Weapons Now has hit behind uh, the assault weapons ban. You go, well, what is an assault weapons ban? Well, that's an awfully good question. 
Uh, see, what I found over the past year uh, with a lot of the people, especially here in South Florida, that are trying to ban them uh, is that they tend to fall into a few different categories. The, the first category is somebody who is just scared and they don't have the first flipping clue and they don't bother to educate themselves. Uh, so just ban, ban the assault weapons. The, the second one that comes into play is the person who can picture the, the weapon or the weapons that they don't like. And they don't educate themselves to know what they actually are. So they say ban assault weapons. And then the third people are the people that really are trying to eradicate your ability to defend yourself. They're trying to get as much banned as possible, and they are actually very knowledgeable. And they hide behind assault weapons because they're trying to get as much banned as they possibly can. And that's the dirty little secret that comes into play with a lot of these elements. And a lot of that's come up over the past day or so. And I've had to remind people about this inconvenient truth about the Constitution, about the Second Amendment, and why it's so incredibly important that we pay attention to the original interpretation of all of it, including the reason why you have the right to bear arms. And we see it on display right now in a country like Venezuela. Imagine if you put as much gun regulation on us as, let's say not Venezuela, but Joe Biden. What's Joe Biden want? Well, you, 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 you don't need... Uh, you, you, you're not going to go hunting with, uh, you know, a semi-automatic? Oh, okay. Really? I mean, so, but what? In the hunting argument. Hmm, okay. Well, now that one's interesting, right? Because uh, is that what the Second Amendment is about? No. And one of the things that's important in this conversation, because a lot of people that are ignorant, that haven't been taught the Constitution, what do they do? You know, they, they end up going into their uh, thing about, oh, you know, but uh, who needs a gun like that? Well, let me ask you something. If you were going to have to beat back against the government, what would it take? None of us ever want to be in that position. But that is the reason why we have the right to bear arms. When we're talking about constitutional rights, Nancy Pelosi today actually managed to discovered the Constitution, found something in it as she liked. She found out that there's a separation of powers and that it actually could restrain the President of the United States. Imagine that one. <laughs> but within it, what we are seeing is a opportunity, a teachable moment. I'll talk about those. You've got the premise, and when I talk about the premise, if the premise is anything of anything is false, anything built on it is going to be false, too. I talk about there being two sides of stories and one side of facts. But the other thing that's important, it, these teachable moments that come into play. So many people, our education establishment, well, they don't teach the, the Constitution. So when you're having a, a conversation with somebody about executive powers, it is useful to be able to have a, a conversation about the Constitution and really explain to people why we have the freedoms that we have. Ask people why it is that the people in Venezuela throw rocks and why it is that they are at the mercy right now of a dictator who's caught off aid to the country and how they're going to ever obtain something resembling freedom again. The only way right now is if there's outside intervention or if that military peels off. It's a teachable moment. There are so many windows of opportunity that come about through adversity. The question with any type of adversity is what you do with it.
all forms come with the opportunity to learn something. And one of the more interesting revelations that I've had over the past year, how many people with information are open once they have considered the conversation? Something that I've, I've found to be interesting, being in South Florida in the wake of Stoneman Douglas and Parkland, how many people, especially young people, had no knowledge of the Second Amendment, really, of the Constitution. They just knew the guns were bad because of what happened at Stillman Douglas that day. But when put in context like this, began to become more interested. When you talk about, and we, we discussed this a little bit earlier in the show, the census situation and how in the Constitution it says persons. And you'll have people that will advocate for everybody getting in the country, being able to utilize the citizen or utilize the census without the citizenship question, and then explain to them, okay, how is it that we elect a president? Well, we elect a president by going and voting. And we have the states, we have the electoral college. That can be a whole other issue. But do you want your state's representation to potentially be hurt because a state like California decides that they're going to deliberately bring in people illegally? And so it takes the overall influence of your state away. Well, no. Well, do you think that your congressional district that you live in should have less influence because you have people that are coming into the country illegally in a state like California that advocates and allows for it? Well, no. Okay. What should money from your district be allocated to a district with illegals? Well, no. And these are the opportunities to reach people. So one of the things that is I think a, a teachable moment, a window of time, even with people that you might disagree with, utilize this conversation about executive powers with the president. Have the conversation. Travel down that path. Begin educating them about other aspects of our Constitution, about the premise, about the foundation. One of the questions that I love to, to present to people in these moments as well, how is it that the United States went from a bunch of revolutionaries and ragtag colonies into the world superpower in about 150 years. How old is, is the rest of the world that had been de- developed? Why is it that we blew past all of them? It wasn't because the government did it, right? It's because we were given the opportunity to be successful. It's because we were given the ability to have freedom, the ability to defend freedom. We are free naturally. The government doesn't grant us freedom as it does all around the world. We are free, and the government works for us, not the other way around. All these foundational-type arguments that we can have right now because of the opportunity that the president's presented to us. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin'. to do with it. We have so much money. But on the wall, they skimped. So I did. I was successful in that sense. um, But I want to do it faster. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this. If you missed my discussion early in the show about the genius, the brilliance, the art of the deal with President Trump and what happened today and how the border wall will not stop, will not 
pause is 100% on track. And if he had a trillion dollars, nothing would be different in terms of the timeline and the execution than what happened today. If you missed that, you, know, you can get those stories. You may follow me on Twitter, at Brian Mudd Radio. I'll get the stories there for you uh, to take, read, and share, and inform yourself. Um, let's go to Ray in Odessa. Ray, go. Hey, good evening, uh, Brian. Good evening. Yeah, you know, good, I was good to hear from speaking you. Speaking to the call screener, good. Yeah, thank you. I was talking to the call screener. We had a nice little chat there. And it, I, I was telling him, I am a Democrat. I've been... So my parents, but uh, forever we. But I consider myself more of a Kennedy Democrat. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I consider myself more of a realist. I actually did vote for Donald Trump because of the all the all, uh, Clinton was. There was no way that was going to happen. But I want. He said, made up a very valid point that it wasn't that I left my party. My party left me. I, I have no idea what path these people are going down now between Pelosi and that. Woman from New York, uh, Cort- whatever her name is, Cortez. Yes. Uh, Cortez. Yes, and it's it's uh, you know I, I don't even know what to say. It's 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 such a sad. Uh, well, not- yeah, Ray, I, I, I'm going to walk you through what's going on right now with the with your party, with the Democratic Party. And by the way, the JFK thing. I mean, JFK is more conservative than most Republicans today. If you take a look at policy. Uh, as an aside, last uh, Democrat my dad voted for was JFK, and he said the party left him. And uh, he, he is anything but um, but a liberal, for sure. Now, when we take a look at what's happened with the parties, if you walk back to the uh, the Tea Party, what took place? Well, you had this rebellion within the Republican establishment. You had the Tea Party that broke out, and you had the win in 2009 with the special elections, then 2010. And the Republican Party was shaken up. But then what happened? There was that battle within the Republican Party, and the establishment won the next round. Mitt Romney coming out 2012 uh, as the nominee, and uh, we, we know how that went. Then the Tea Party kind of reemerged a little bit again, and uh, 2014 was more or less uh, the, the Tea Party-esque kind of candidate that emerged Republicans uh, performing well in those elections. Then what happened? Well, the battle for the party was going on between the two. And Donald Trump stepped in and smashed the whole dang thing and remade the party in his own image. In the Democratic Party, a lot of people think that what's going on right now is something that is maybe Bernie Sanders-led. This happened long before Bernie. It started with Occupy Wall Street. So as soon as you had the Tea Party gaining success, you also had radical elements on the left viewing that as the opportunity to do their thing. And bring socialism about. Occupy Wall Street just didn't gain a ton of traction until you had a Bernie Sanders-esque individual. And that's when you saw the rise of the AOCs of the world to where they weren't, holy cow, we can knock off these establishment people in our party that haven't even been challenged. Sound familiar? Remember Eric Canner in Virginia and how he went down among some of the other Republicans, our establishment guys that got taken out by the Tea Party? It's the exact same thing. So what you have playing out in the Democratic Party is the exact same thing as Republicans were battling with in the Tea Party. One thing to watch, I don't know at this point how this story is going to end, but there's a chance that for Democrats, whoever is going to remake the party in their own image, we're not talking about yet. Was anybody talking about Donald Trump being the president of the United States at this point in the cycle in 2015? Jeb Bush was leading in the polls. I'll remind you, Joe Biden is Jeb Bush at this cycle, by the way. 
So a little bit uh, of something to watch there. All right, heads up for you. Brand new, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Brand new this Sunday, 10 o'clock, the Fox News Channel. Hit your DVR if you're not going to watch it live. Hit your DVR anyway. General Jack King got to sit down with the great one. And speaking of the great one, he is back with you after President's Day on Tuesday. Always an honor and a pleasure being with you. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Levin, have a wonderful weekend.